Developing Strategy podcast. It's a bit of a bittersweet episode today because it is our last episode in the series. Um, Dad, I don't know about you, I've got a whole range of emotions. Relief. Um, relief. relief is relief. one. <laughs> but relief also for our se- listeners. Strong sense of accomplishment. Um, but also, it's yeah, it's kind of sad. Got it's, a bonus episode in addition, though. Yeah, it's and who knows? Way. Maybe this is maybe the there'll be one or two bonus little episodes. season two teaser there. But yeah, it's, it's the last of our six questions today. Um, and to get into it, we're going to do two things. So first of all, we're going to suggest a simple tool to help you evaluate the pros and cons of the options that you came up with in the last episode. And then number two, we're going to describe the factors that determine whether or not a strategy will be successful. Um, And just as a reminder, this final question that we're speaking to is what option is best? Um, So, Dad, should we get stuck in? Where do you want to begin today? Well, I think you've got a company you want to use as an example. Um, So perhaps you could describe it to everyone Mm. and then we'll uh, talk about this simple tool that we're going to use. Yeah, it's quite quite a fun one, I think. Um, My friend Ollie has basically just, just launched his company that is a a canned wine business so this is a market that in the UK is kind of underpenetrated versus other economies like the US etc wine is not cool and sexy really in the UK and his aim is to kind of change that with his co-founder Theo um, and and launch canned wine as kind of cool cool thing for younger people to drink so he's just launched that and I think one of the big questions they were asking when I spoke to them a while back about it was a question around channel um, and your sort of go-to-market strategy so let's talk about it today as a kind of simplified version of the decision to go direct consumers so you can use online channels obviously mm-hmm. loads of Facebook advertising you just click through and order through the website or obviously a huge channel is retail um, and particularly in the UK you've got these kind of um, the pretty consolidated retailer base mm-hmm. so selling through those guys would be the other option for the purpose of this podcast so that's great introduction and charlie you obviously have to look at various strategy options mm. as, part, as part of your your work so how would you go about analyzing the choice between say these two options yeah i think it goes way back to oh, it's probably episode four or something wasn't it um where we talked about this matrix of attractiveness and chance of success or mm-hmm. achievability, let's call it. Okay. Can um, you talk a little bit about that? So those are the two mm. criteria, uh, attractiveness and achievability. Can you talk a little bit about, unpack those a little bit? Yeah, so let's let's talk about attractiveness in terms of market size, growth and profitability, as we did before. Um, you can already probably have a bit of a think about how that splits out um, for those two channels, direct to consumer and retailer. Um, so I think that'll be kind of my main metrics for comparison for attractiveness and then achievability mm-hmm. that kind of you're rolling in things like initial upfront investment. Um, so for direct, you'd need to build a website and build the logistics around delivering to consumers if you were going through the online route. Mm-hmm. Um, so there's kind of financial achievability and then there's the more the softer things like building a network. So, you know, the wine channel in retailer environment is hugely kind of relationship driven um, and people meet each other at the wine fairs and, mm-hmm. and have chats and stuff like that. So there's that kind of softer side of achievability as well. Yeah, okay. So attractiveness, uh, size, growth and profitability of the market. Achievability is a mixture of hard stuff like the capital and soft stuff like mm-hmm. building a network. Okay, so let me introduce the simple tool that I think is 
the best way to have a good discussion and ultimately the best choice about which of the options you've identified would be the best one. It's very simple. It's a table. You have a series of columns representing one column for each option and you have a series of rows and each row is a different criteria and you simply assess each option on each criteria and then do a comparison uh, across the options. It can be done in different ways. We'll discuss that more as we go through. It could be purely qualitative and then at the end you have to weigh the value of different criteria. Uh, it could be very mathematical where each criteria has a weighting and each option is scored in a numeric way against each criteria. Uh, to be honest, in strategy, it's very hard to reduce everything to numbers and normally there is a judgment involved which we'll discuss as we go through. Anyway, that's the tool. It's probably the simplest and in a way though it's the most powerful in that if you only had one tool and you could write down the options against the criteria, I think a senior team would have a really good discussion about that. Now, let's turn to the topic of how to identify the right criteria. I had to, in this chapter, think, well, what would I recommend as the criteria? I, I first of all said there are three categories, uh, strategic, feasibility, and financial. Okay. And that most of the categories, most of the criteria I've seen fall under one of those three. And that strategic includes things like attractiveness, which can be unpacked again into size, growth, profitability. A, a big one that you didn't really mention was competitive advantage. And this was partly my upbringing at BCG, Boston Consulting Group, was very obsessed with if you didn't have competitive advantage, you wouldn't be successful. So you can kind of include a lot of this stuff like how to build a network um, under is it important to be successful uh, but by having an advantage? Well, yes, whoever has the biggest network has an advantage. So mm -hmm. advantage is in a way an umbrella and that would be under strategic criteria. There could be others like is it aligned to our aims if we have a very, perhaps we're a charity. Mm -hmm. um, if there's a lot of uncertainty, uh, could we deal with the uncertainty? Could we manage the uncertainty around this option? Because some might be safer and steadier and others might be more volatile and maybe we're going to be advantaged by dealing with the volatile options because we're, we can move fast or move, maybe we're going to be disadvantaged. You know, you have to kind of design something which slightly fits the company, the situation, but mm. the broad heading is strategic. Then feasibility would include things like, do I have the money? So these are things that actually, if you didn't know which company was investing, you wouldn't think about them. But suddenly you're a small company, then the amount of money it costs is a huge issue. Whereas if you were, say, Unilever going into this, the amount of money required would be not an important criteria. So feasibility, again, is somewhat customised. tends to be around, do I have the ability to implement it and do I have the resources to implement it? So an ability question and a, a quantity question, if you like, of resources. And then financial, I think, is important because if all those things look good, you should have good financials. And so they're, they're a complement to the other criteria. Yeah. Um, what would you use as financial criteria if you were evaluating an option? I guess return on investment is a big one yeah. um, for me. Yeah, return on investment, net present value, return on investment, they're, they're, they're kind of two sides of the same coin. So mm. th there's a, a debate to be had about exactly the best criteria, payback and so on. But, but broadly speaking, those are the three categories. Um, so let's think about mm. that for your 
company. Um, yeah, okay. I, think I, I like that list, by the way. <clears throat> okay. I think it's, it's more exhaustive than mine. It's kind of like a nice checklist, isn't it? Well, so, why don't we try and apply these mm, mm. to the organisation? Maybe you could just talk us through cool. which Let, of these options look good on which, which criteria. Let's start with strategic then, and correct me if I'm using these wrong. Mm-hmm. Um, so aligned to, we need something that's aligned to our aims, we need to consider that. And actually, sorry to sort of complicate this, I know mm-hmm. we're talking about direct-to-consumer retail as well, but I know one of the, the other things the guys are quite passionate about is supporting local independent business. Oh, okay. Um, and I don't know actually what they would state their official aim as being. Right. But if there's some slant of we want to support local businesses right. um, and work with them, then maybe like the that kind could of have an the on-trade you're selling through like local um, yeah. bars and pubs and restaurants, maybe that comes into it. But yeah. um, if the goal to is To be just, discussed. Yeah, to be, to be discussed, exactly. Because often these checklists are a way of talking through an mm. option with the people involved you know I use them as a framework to have a discussion rather than sort of a mechanical thing but so we could use this with the owners okay Okay. so that's aligned to aims there's a possible issue there okay and the next one was attractive segment of the market Mm -hmm. Um, so size growth and profitability yeah if we're talking about retail um, I would assume that's by far and away the largest Got to be bigger than direct direct consumer yeah so huge market we do get flavorly beers yeah, directly right, delivered yeah. to us occasionally. It's normally quite popular, and that like kind of subscription model is quite interesting. Yeah, but it's it? still but, um, very small compared still, to retail. Still tiny. Yeah. But then in terms of profits, um, obviously the retailers have a bit of a reputation. We talked to Daniel mm. Hart right about this. Mm. Um, yeah, for yeah, just driving screwing down, screwing you over. I think is the technical stealing term. your margin, screwing you over. Yeah. Um. So that would be a consideration. Then. Yeah. But yeah, okay, we've got some initial thoughts on attractive mm-hmm. segments of the market. Then the next point under strategic was ability to generate competitive advantage, yeah. right? Yeah. And my feeling when I was chatting to them is uh, it's all about kind of branding. Um, oh, this, okay. This canned wine stuff. Mm-hmm. So it's usually priced as a bit of a premium because no one wants to buy really cheap canned wine. Right. Really. But there may be some competition on price, but... If we think about the ability to generate competitive advantage in those two channels, mm. I would guess that the direct consumer, it's easier to generate competitive advantage. Um, I guess for a, for a number of reasons. I mean, you might just feel like you have more control over the brand mm-hmm. um, for a start. Mm-hmm. You are able to, you don't have to sort of compete on the shelf um, which may be a different kind of competition. You're not along with 10 other wine brands on the shelf, that sort of thing. Right. Is this is this the kind of thought you go through? Yeah, absolutely. I mean, I, when you say it's all about brand, I think, oh, is it really all about brand? I would have thought there are other potential sources of advantage, like building a loyal customer base, which might not just be driven by brand. Mm. Um, so, for example, Flavorly the brand isn't very valuable. What's valuable is the fact that customers are used to buying online from you and you can therefore get some economies of scale. But that's because they're selling lots of different types of beer. So we could have a debate with them about is it really all about brand or is it not possible Mm. to build advantage just by, for example, building up a loyal group of customers online? That's true. Um, Like Harry's Razors, does that sell on brand or just the fact that people find it convenient and cheaper to buy online? No, that's a good point. Um, But but, but perhaps they they may know their market better than me and perhaps it is all about brand. And then really then, yeah, going direct probably sounds better because you've Mm. probably got more control over your brand. Okay. Okay. Um, No, 
Good, good points. Why don't um, we talk a bit about feasibility, which I said is how capable are you to implement and do you have the resources required to implement? Okay, so ability to implement and have the resources. How are those different kind of stuff? Oh, the ability, I think, is just do you as an individual perhaps have the contacts in the retail okay. trade or whatever? Um, and the resources would be more do you have the money okay. and the people and the time? Yeah, so I think, I think in terms of feasibility, ability to implement... I think the retail channel is going to be more challenging just because you have to get in there with the big buyers right. and large retailers. You haven't got too many to go at. Um, right. And it's a bit of a, it's a bit of an old boys club, really. Right. You um, don't have any particular who, links. Who knows who. Yeah. Mm. So I think that's a, a, a more challenging network to break mm. into. Um, with the direct consumer channel, I guess you need the ability to you need to be able to manage the logistics of supply mm -hmm. and wine mm -hmm. through your website and you need to have a website that actually works as well, mm -hmm. um, which feels more achievable and they actually have like a really good website going now. So they, perhaps that's more achievable. The logistics might be a bit trickier for them mm. as they're two, two guys coming out of college, basically. I should, I should say, by the way, like they're called the Copper Crew. Um, that's the, uh, oh, the name we're talking okay. about. I shouldn't talk about them Try their product. without saying who they are. <laughs> Um, we don't get any advertising revenue there, do we? So we're not going to promote them too aggressively. I can okay. talk about that with him. Yeah. <laughs> okay, so mm, just they're a small group, but perhaps they've got a bit more capability on the direct side. Mm. So to me, this is kind of pointing to direct feels yeah. better. Yeah. But what you will find when you do this is often you get pros and cons. Like retail is a very big market. You might think, well, I know there's not as much advantage there, but if we could just build some scale, if we've got one deal with a medium-sized retailer, we'd have so much volume that it would be equivalent to spending five years building up our direct business. There can be some factors like the size of the market, which we talked about as favouring retail, which can sway things one way, even though actually all the other indicators are more pointing direct. So it's often not 100% obvious, even when you've laid out this grid. Mm. But things are pushing, I guess, towards saying you should be looking at a direct model yep. as the ultimate goal. And then I guess the final bucket to consider is financial, right? Yeah. Um, so in terms which, of... Which I would think would be a bit of a value. wild guess at this yeah. stage in the business. So it's maybe not so easy to run the numbers. Yeah, I think that's true. I mean, you can you can lay out the sort of various costs of packaging and yeah, sourcing of yeah, etc. Yeah, um, and you should. Yeah, there's a lot of uncertainty as well in that. I think with yeah. exchange rate fluctuations, they get all their mm. wine from South Africa. So oh, I think okay. it's it's an interesting one to map out what the costs and the potential revenues are. But right, I know they've been a uh, yeah. It, it's kind of moving very quickly with the COVID situation. So yeah. Anyway, yeah. I mean, a small business like this, it's harder to get concrete numbers. Because there's so so many assumptions involved, but the the financials obviously are very important, particularly if you're doing like a major investment in a refinery or something mm. like that, where you're talking about spending twenty billion dollars, and yeah. you know, it's for a bunch of chemicals that you know the historic prices of. Obviously, there you're going to be able to run the numbers in quite a different way. Not that I'm suggesting that their product is equivalent to the output of the <laughs> refinery. So how are they doing? Yeah, I need, I need to check in with them. Um, yeah. I mean, it's it's just launched like really recently. I think the hot weather's done them some favors. Okay. Um, but yeah, it seems to be going really well, and and uh, yeah, I'd encourage people to check them out. Good luck. Some wine. Um, okay, so just to assess what we've tried to do here in this episode is run through a methodology, and perhaps the the the, the missing thing we haven't talked about is the tool itself, which is a very simple table of list your options out as columns. 
and your criteria down the side as rows. Mm. And then you can rank, um, you can use a number, you can use a qualitative yes, no, high, medium, low, whatever score for each criteria. So we could say we've got two options which are direct and retail and one of the criteria is market size um, and that's large for retail and that's small for direct. Or we could have an actual number of what we think the, the size of the market is. Yeah. Um, normally in these you get a mixture of some numbers and some um, qualitative assessments. But the point of this table is incredibly simple, and you've probably seen it before, is it forces you to think what the options are and to think what the criteria are, put it down on paper, make it discussable. You put that in front of a senior team, you'll get a lot of good discussion about have we got all the options, have we got the right criteria because the salespeople might be more interested in is their volume. Um, the production person might be more interested in feasibility. And, you know, it's, it, it's a really good discussion in itself. Yeah. Um, so I really recommend that as a table, as a simple tool, that table. It, it's not rocket science and you may know it, but it's just a very practical thing to do. Any right. point you want to add? Do you use that table? No, no, I I. I guess yeah, we we've used that in previous projects. Um, that that kind of structured thinking is helpful, but you don't want to be too, you don't want to be too kind of uh, like driven by the the rigid kind of table thinking. Yes. So it's it's about those discussions as well. It's, isn't about, it? and it's those about discussions. It's about people as well. It's who you involve in the process and and coming up with. Absolutely, it. yeah. So another point is it, what really counts is are you involving the right people? So like our last episode, we'd want to emphasize it's not just the tools you use and the analysis you do but the people you involve. So if in doing this evaluation, you've got very knowledgeable people, mm. very objective people, people who are motivated to get the right answer, who care, um, and perhaps people who will have to implement the options themselves, this will be a good group to do yeah. things with. And that they have sufficient time and sufficient information, all of which actually put together can be quite tricky. Um, can I tell you one quick story? Go on. Okay, so Just me and my friends, we used to teach this on strategic decisions at, at Ashridge Business School. And um, we met somebody afterwards in the bar, and they said, oh, I'm kind of really weighing whether I should leave Ashridge or not. And this was nothing to do with the course. It was a, a member of staff there. So we said, oh, great, let's use the options criteria table. <laughs> we spent I mean, like a good hour working through what the criteria were, what the options were, ranked it. They were pretty close, which shows why she was uh, having a hard time deciding. But it said leave. Leave, but you know, leave was like twenty-seven points, and stay was twenty-four points. Yeah. So the next morning, um, I think I met her, and she said, "Oh, thanks so much. It was really helpful." And I said, oh, "I'm really sorry you're going, you know." But she said, "Oh no, I'm not going. I've decided to stay." I said, "Well, hold on. I thought we did all the analysis yesterday, and it said, you know, you should leave. That had a higher score." She said, "Yeah, but you know, what it really did was make me think hard about oh it, my gosh. and what I really thought, and it was incredibly helpful for that. And I've just realised I do want to stay. So I thought that was quite funny, and maybe not exact analogy to every strategic decision, but yeah. ultimately, <laughs> decision making comes down to a judgment. And so this tool is primarily about helping you make a better judgment." but it's not a spreadsheet that will tell you the answer. Yeah. Um, unless it's so damn obvious, you probably don't need any tool to tell you anyway. Oh, I like that. It's yeah, a, it's, a, nice it's little, a genuine true story. Nice little it? insight into what happens at post-work drinks at a business school as well. <laughs> there you are. <laughs> a lot of drinking. One last point is what we've come up with here is that the criteria are effectively a list of what makes a strategy successful. Hmm. So... You know, we could have an episode that says, what makes a strategy successful? And we've actually entitled it, 
how to pick the right option as question six, which is a rather dull analytical phrase. It'd be much more snazzy to say, what is the secret of success for strategy? But it's effectively those criteria you have to be targeting and attract some combination of an attractive market where you can build competitive advantage, which is aligned to your aims, where you have the resources, you have the capability to implement, you get a good financial return and so on. Um, and so instead, you know, we've taken an analytical approach, but if you wanted, you know, a slogan that said, what are the five things that make a strategy successful? Just look for the criteria mm. on your options criteria table and, and it should be the same thing. Great. So cool. we saved you an episode. We don't have to have that episode. No. Nice little rousing speech to finish it off. That's um, it. Great. Well, Dad, thanks so much for the last... Uh, oh, thank you, Trey. It's been great. Done now. And thanks to really all fun. our listeners. Please do uh, rate the podcast, mm. which is really helpful. Um, and uh, we will pop out the odd bonus episode. Yeah. Um, but yeah, we've gone through to question six. So yeah, well no, I, everyone. I hope people have found it helpful. Um, and please recommend it to your friends um, if you think they might be interested as well. It's been really fun to make. And yeah, it's been great to hear people's feedback as well. Um, so until next time, where we'll be doing a few bonus episodes. Thanks once again for listening. Yeah.